0: The human centric podcast, the podcast all about the talents of today and tomorrow presented by Deutsche Telekom.
1: Hello, everyone, and heartily welcome back to the Human-Centric Podcast. I, Hannah, am alone in the studio here in Oslo today. I am joined by a very international company. We have a Canadian on board, and our second guest today is actually dialing in from somewhere close to San Sebastian, I think. Very, very exotic. So here we are today discussing, as you can see from the title of the episode, this kind of incredibly central point to everything we're doing these days. How can we learn at work, learn and work independently on our own development? Things like reskilling, new skilling, upskilling are such kind of hot topics du jour in the corporate world, and for very good reasons, because everything is developing so quickly and finding the best ways of teaching people stuff and kind of for us as individuals to learn how to learn. It's what this podcast episode should be all about and it is really what our lives should be all about these days if we're trying to not just go to work every day and do what we did yesterday, which we all know by now isn't going to cut it. So Laura and Jason, please just come to the mic and say hi, both of you.
0: Hello, everyone.
1: Hi, good morning. So delighted to have you both on board. So we have one internal resource today. And Laura, your surname is like De Juan, right? Am I saying that right?
2: Yeah, perfect. Perfect.
1: So tell us, where exactly are you dialing in from?
2: I'm dialing in from... In fact, Quecho, that is a small city in the Basque country, north of Spain. So, and yeah, close to San Sebastián, as you said already.
1: Oh, it sounds so gorgeous. And this is actually where you work and live, right? Yeah. So,
2: Yeah. yeah, I have no corporate offices around and I'm used to do home office since like seven, eight years ago.
1: Oh, right. So when the whole pandemic came around, you were already doing this home office thing.
2: Yeah. The the only uh, new thing for me is having the kids around. <laughs> so that was. <laughs> yes.
1: And that is quite a change, I'm sure, huh?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. I can tell you.
1: Yeah. So, Laura, first of all, congratulations on this incredibly successful project, The Brain Box. We're going to tell the listeners in a second what it's all about. But of course, they already know by now we're talking about learning at work. I was so curious when I heard your story so, what happened? Three years ago, your boss came to you.
2: Yeah, well, um, three years ago, I joined this project that is called you Learn, And this YouLearn is, is a project that has the aim to transform Deutsche Telekom into a learning organization. Mm-hmm. And within this team, we are... 10 people working and I'm the one that is focused on the learning culture, learning mindset. And there was a time where my former manager, she told me, hey, why don't you do a research about this uh, neuroscience topic and neurodidactics? So maybe it can give us a clue or a path so how we can use this knowledge about how the brain works and how Mm. the brain learns so to make our learning life easier also in the corporate environment.
1: Am I right? You didn't know anything or very much about this field from before that, did you? No.
2: No, I had no clue what she was talking about. (laughs) And I said, yeah, but it sounds good. It sounds interesting. So why not? And then I started doing my own research and learning and I really found a super topic. I I really started loving it uh, from the Mm -hmm. very beginning. And then I did a very first session with my team and they were so fascinated and they were so, because it's a, a very new topic for all of us, I think, because we are working in an IT company. So things like the brain and the learning environment and how the brain works is something that we are not used to talk about at work. I mean, They told me, hey, and why don't you offer these sessions in our internal learning platform that we have, and maybe more people can join, and they can also take the advantage of this knowledge, and you can help them to learn easier. And yeah, okay, then I gave my first session in this internal learning platform. And then, uh, yeah, I saw that there was a lot of interest in people and then the first session became a second one and then a third one and people were asking for <laughs> for more and then i created a series of five sessions and i'm offering them every thursdays sometimes in the morning sometimes in the afternoon because of the time shifts so people from also america or singapore can join amazing yeah so That was how it started. But Brainbox now is not only about these learning sessions. I also created the Brainbox, the initiative itself. And together with the sessions, there is now a space in our intranet. And I upload there all the content and all the material from the sessions, but also some videos, articles, tips and tricks about learning techniques. uh, Great. Some biography, and so people can explore deeper if they want.
1: So right here, we have like a brilliant little advertisement, guys. For those of you listening in who are actually within the Deutsche Telekom universe, here's an invitation if you didn't already go there. There's a learning site, there's an initiative. And Laura, there are so many things I love about your story, because this leader just kind of going, why don't you have a look at this? And then you ending up finding your passion in there. And then developing something that becomes so popular and that somehow also, which we're going to look into, changes the dynamic of how we approach people in workplaces when we're getting them to learn and getting them to join programs. There's just... Such a fabulous story to me. Let's do say hello to Jason too. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time today.
0: Well, thanks for the invitation, Anna. I appreciate it.
1: So if you take us through just your kind of, uh, like what we always say here, we don't need your CV. We just want your passion. Mm -hmm. We want to know what led you to where you are today. I know that's very hard in a few sentences, but tell us, Jason, what's your story?
0: Well my backgrounds are within clinical psychology and the cognitive sciences. So I'm originally from Canada, but I did my grad studies in Chicago. And about twenty-five years ago, you know, when I first started out, that's what I was working with specifically was trauma and helping people to cognitively and emotionally deal with trauma. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, as you know, part of my story, I met my wife who's Norwegian. She had that Scandinavian glow. She attracted me over here to Norway. <laughs> so that's where I'm actually talking from right now in Oslo, Norway. But then I decided I wanted to set up my own shop. And so I, I set up Mind Talk. And it was based on, you know, the talk in our minds. And that's what I've worked with. And so, for the last 20 years, I've been running Mind Talk, where I've been teaching people about sort of uh, cognitive psychology, the clinical communication tools, and, you know, based in neuroscience. And it's constantly taking that. Like, I work more as a coach and sparring partner, but the idea is to help people to better lead and communicate by understanding. You know, the cutting edge of what brain science is. So it's very science-based, it's very pragmatic. Mm-hmm. And it's a very rewarding job in order to help people to kind of move forward through whatever challenges it is, if it's operations or strategy or communication, or their own internal self-management when it comes to stress or prioritizing or anxiety or what have you. So in a in a nutshell, so the last 25 years that I've been doing is teaching people pretty much communication-based skills that are that have their underpinnings in neuroscience and clinical psychology
1: how utterly amazing and god how i wish we had a whole episode we might just have to do that where we discuss your journey that's not a laughing matter actually from like clinical trauma stories to the corporate world and the challenges to do with neuroscience and developing ourselves and communicating at work. And so, of course, again, for the listeners who come from within the Deutsche Telekom, you're a little bit of a celebrity, Jason, because apparently you've made some films that are for internal use, that are little kind of sniblets that deal with the topics we need to know about in order to understand ourselves and others in the workplace. And they're being Watched quite a lot, I think. So for those of you already familiar with Jason, here's a chance to kind of get even further into his logic today, which I'm so looking forward to. We're going to switch then and talk a little bit about learning in the workplace and why it is so important right now. Like, why now? Laura, what did you learn from developing BrainBox? What is your most important finding? What can you tell us about learning today?
2: Well um I think when you follow your passion the path is not easy and and beautiful it has a lot of ups and downs and uncertainty and I learned to keep my curiosity alive being resilient and and persistent but looking into the maybe the corporate learning environment, I think that nowadays uh, learning is so important because companies, I I think they won't be able to guarantee jobs anymore, Mm. but they can guarantee a skill development. And that means that uh, living in a WUCA world that we are in, the company that does not learn does not grow. So this is really key for us.
1: So you're saying it's absolutely crucial to survival,
2: Yeah, because jobs in two, three years' time, they have not been created already. So we have to be there with the right skills in the right moment. And that means that we really need to be fast learning. It has to be something easy. It has to be something that people are really willing to learn new things and jumping into new roles.
1: So... That's a good answer right there, and it's a pretty profound answer. Jason, is this your insight too? Would you agree with what Laura's saying here?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I have three teenage kids, and, you know, they'll be in the job market within, you know, five, six, seven, eight years. And, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of what exists today may not exist in that time. And so I think Laura's very articulate when she says that, you know, 36 or 48 months from now, there are jobs that are not existing today that will exist at some point and we can see the evolution of these jobs And I think you know when we talk about reskilling, I think reskilling is a very important skill to obtain But I think to complement that I think we also need to reframe because I think many of us get locked into a way of what we know and we we hold on to that but moving into the future is what Laura has already said and what brain box seems to be about is about embracing that uncertainty and so reskilling without reframing and reframing in meaning how you picture learning. And as I think Laura was saying, that curiosity, that passion, of course it's not a clear road from A to Z, but yeah. it, it can get messy. There's a lot of mistakes, but it's embracing that struggle, embracing that frustration in order to move forward. It's easier to say than done, but you know it does take a lot of work, I think. But I think it's more of an investment than a cost.
1: This weirdly fits into previous episodes that we've had on the podcast. It seems to be like these recurring topics are kind of, they keep just entering the episodes without us really planning for them. But here we are again discussing passion and how passion leads us to where we need to go in order to actually survive in the workplace. And then secondly, the idea that we need to not only kind of get on board with the reskilling and upskilling and new skilling, but we need to reframe the very way we think about our own roles in the companies. So one of the discussions that's been going on in previous episodes has been discussing now how would you really define what it is to be an expert? And Becoming an expert or calling yourself an expert sounds a bit like a dead end these days because everything's changing so fast and we need to get on board in the new stuff so quickly that the moment you sit down and you kind of go, I've got expertise now, you are actually stopping to learn. So, so many fascinating thoughts in here. So we determine, we do agree. Gosh, it's an important topic. Laura, If I try to kind of lock us into giving advice for any leader out there in Deutsche Telekom right now seeking to grow their people, having this knowledge on board, what would be your number one advice? How do we go about it? Hmm.
2: I would say give your team a space to learn. And when Hmm. I say that, it's not just attending trainings. It's more about creating the proper environment within your team Mm. so they can learn from each other and allow them to make mistakes. So learn from them. I think this will help create a mindset of discovery and, and curiosity.
1: So you're saying some very important things. You're saying dare to trip up, dare to fail and create a culture where we are allowed to fail and discuss our failings even. And also you're saying create a space. I think, you know, as a trained kind of communication coach and trainer myself, it's one of the biggest enemies and obstacles I'm up against definitely in my work is just basically time. People are too stressed out with being stressed out and they're not taking the time for the bigger picture or for like actually absorbing new stuff.
2: Yeah, you're right. I think this is the biggest challenge. So how to adapt the corporate learning to the new modern learner. So all these obstacles that people have nowadays, right? So they are overwhelmed, and as you were saying, have less time, are more impatient, have high expectations. And at the same time, as we are seeing, it is more important than ever to learn.
1: Yeah. It brings back this old saying, doesn't it? We were so busy being busy that suddenly we weren't busy anymore.
2: Mm,
1: Yeah. Right? So being the right kind of busy, that's what it's going to be all about. Great. Okay. Well, so we have established beyond any doubt that learning is crucial. It's key to our development in our individual lives and it's key for corporations to actually both be competitive, but also to know how to thrive. It's not only about greed and resources, is it? It's about actually also thriving and being creative and fitting a purpose in societies where the corporations exist. Let's then turn a page and trying to kind of weave it all together. I want to turn a corner and I want to understand more, Jason, about this thing that lies at the top of our spine and we call it the brain take us there, take us to the brain, try and kind of, for us people who don't have your education and insight, help us understand what's the latest on the brain, because it's also evolved, hasn't it? You told us that when we were prepping for today, you did these films for Deutsche Telekom, this is coming up two years ago, and now you're telling us they are actually already old-fashioned. What's going on?
0: Well, let me qualify that. So yeah, they were two years ago and a lot of it is still relevant. I mean, it hasn't changed, but there has been developments that allow us to go even in more depth and to refine the skill sets and, you know, from a leader perspective or a coach perspective. Mm. So, you know, just to spend a little more time, you know, Daniel Kahneman in 2012, he came out with his great book, Thinking Fast and Slow, and where he talked about system one, system two. And so what we know, there's a number of systems in the brain, but we can almost add systems three and four. Now, what do I mean? Well, I know this is an audio format, but if I could ask the listeners or yourselves, you know, you you have the two hands in front of you. And if you fold your thumbs across your palms and then you wrap your fingers over the thumbs, you'll create two fists. Now, if you put these two fists together, they represent the hemisphere of the brain, the left and right hemispheres. Now, let's take the left hand. The fingers represent the cortex, or very oversimplistic, sort of the thinking tissues of the brain. Now, if I peel back those fingers, you'll see my thumb is there. Well, the thumb itself represents an anatomical structure called the limbic system. Now, the limbic system is just the emotional center of the brain. It's a very simple term to talk about a collection of different parts, such as the amygdala hippocampus. Now, this is very important when it comes to learning. You know, we have two emotional centers, meaning we have two amygdalae. So I can open my right hand, which represents the right hemisphere, and there's a different emotional center there. Now, there's a complete difference between the left and the right. They both have logical sensors and emotional sensors, but this is key to learning. The left side, how the neurons or the brain cells are structured, they run in series. They are linear, so they're connected sort of like serial processing. Meaning, what do I mean? Well, if I have idea A, that leads to idea B, which leads to idea C. It's linear. It's sequential. And so on the left-hand side, if we look at the anatomical structure of those fingers on top of the thumb, the the logical centers, the cortex, what is that responsible for? Well, it's responsible for critical thinking and judgment. Mm. It's very black and white. It's detailed. It's concise and precise. It looks at uh, its language and its verbal. It's also what we call temporal meaning it's sequential so temporal in this case means past to present the future now that's important when we're learning to use critical thinking to understand the details but if we move to the emotional center of the left side this emotional center is about defensiveness it's about survival and we have what's called the f3 response which is flight freeze and fight
1: mm-hmm.
0: now this part of the brain, you know, this is something we didn't cover in the video, but this part of the brain doesn't like anything new. And so this is very important when it comes to learning, because this left side of the brain, the emotional center, it wants to keep what it controls. It wants to stay in certainty. And what is certainty? Well, in those videos we did with Deutsche Telekom, certainty is about what we've already learned, what we've already achieved. Exactly. But learning, you know this, Han and Laura knows this too, and every time we're, we're faced with something we need to learn, or some change comes to us, we feel a sense of frustration and struggle. Now, I think this is very important because this is what bridges the left side of the brain to the right side of the brain. Now, the fight, flight, and freeze, the F3 response, usually when we feel struggle or frustration with the new or with some sort of change, struggle is actually a road sign that we're moving in the right direction. But a lot of us, when we're face with struggle, flight, we run away or we freeze, we choke up. But the most important FDA response, and this is why the left side of the brain, the emotional side is so important because the fight means you're embracing the struggle. You're trying to crack the code. What is happening there? When the brain sees this, what happens, it invests. You know, the brain doesn't care if things are running smoothly, it won't dedicate any resources that struggle that frustration shows up as an error signal in the brain Mm. and what does it do well it dedicates neuromodulators now neuromodulators is a type of chemicals the first one is it releases something called neuroadrenaline hopefully i'm not geeking out but i think this is very important when it comes to learning okay so neuroadrenaline this neuromodulator what it does it triggers the cns the central nervous system means it activates us right and we know what it feels when we're feeling a sense of pressure, or anxiety, right? When we're struggling, it activates us. And then what happens? It releases a second neuromodulator called acetylcholine. Uh, now, acetylcholine is very simply, it's like a spotlight. It puts attention on those neurons where it's struggling. Now, as we try to crack the code, as we try to learn, as we embrace the suck, as the uh, American Marines, uh, not the Marines, but their SEALs. That's their slogan. I think it's perfect. Embrace the suck. Embrace the struggle because the struggle and the frustration, you know, Hana, is the signpost that we're learning. And once we crack just a little bit of the code, what happens? Well, it releases a third neuromodulator called dopamine and dopamine is just like that. It's dope. It makes us feel good. Now, this is the critical point. When we embrace the struggle, it links the left emotional center to the right emotional center in the right hemisphere. Now the right hemisphere is wired differently. It's wired like a parallel processor. It works in, as Laura's saying, to find the passion, and the curiosity. Well, those aren't just emotional words. Those are key because those are what uh, defines and dictates the right emotional center. Now, the right emotional center is its own anatomical structure. What does it focus on? It focuses on taking risks, uncertainty, learning, growing, developing, adventure, opportunities and possibilities. But, you know, we we can go too passionate. And that's why the logical sensors are very important. And so, I mean, this is a whole workshop, and I'm trying to cram this in 10 minutes. Oh, you're doing
1: great. You're doing great. I think even I understand. Keep going.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But the learning in itself is just that. Basically, what we want to do is embrace the struggle. It seems counterintuitive, but when we embrace the struggle, whether we're running and we're trying to push faster or we're lifting weights to become stronger or learn a new language and we're struggling... That's what we want to do. We want to embrace the suck. We want to embrace the frustration because of these neuromodulators, because the brain will dedicate more resources to that. And so this is about building habits. So when you have two neurons that are starting to fire together for the first time, you know, the electrical signal will be weak. But habits aren't formed over a length of time. They're formed of how often you fire those neurons. Mm -hmm. You know, Hebb's Law, one of Hebb's Laws, uh, when it fires together, it wires together these neurons. So every time we practice something, every time we push towards something, this fatty tissue called myelin. Myelin is what coats the neural connections. Think about it like copper wire the thicker I put the insulation around the copper wire, the faster and the more stronger that electrical signal will pass. Okay. Well, the brain's the same thing. So when we embrace the struggle, Hanna,
1: Yes. Um,
0: that's just what it is. We create this fatty myelin sheet that coats the electrical signal. and That's when we become more adept, more skilled.
1: So let me try. Let me see if I understood any of this correctly, Please. Jason. Thank you sure. so, so much. Oh God, I, I like always, I wish we had a whole season for this. But I actually think there was a lot of really, really juicy learning in there. But your bottom line, which is beautiful too, is embracing the feeling, the frustration of feeling stuck or feeling the struggle. So you're actually saying if I imagine I was overwhelmed by a new learning task and I really didn't get it, then maybe I would go to like flight or freeze. But there's a certain kind of saturation point where I can stay with this struggle.
0: It's that fight response, correct.
1: Yeah. And then you're saying our hormones are actually our friends here. Also, the um, like I'm using my inverted comma fingers now, the the kind of bad uh, experience of hormones like noradrenaline or cortisol would kind of speed me up towards the dopamine kick if I just stick with the struggle. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah. So... They are chemicals. They're not hormones, but just to, oh, right. just for pedantic sake. No, it's okay, but it's, they're just called neuromodulators. They, they modulate how we think, and, and they, they, they focus time. So I think just to connect it to something Laura said, you know, it's you know, the frustration or the stress that a lot of people are feeling. Sometimes I think it's very important because it's hard to talk to colleagues who are in the same culture or to talk to sort of internal coaches or friends yeah. and family. Sometimes it's good to find a sparring partner outside of that because sometimes we can't use the mind to get out of the mind. You know, sometimes when we're stressed or we're pressure frustrated, sometimes it's very hard for us to be able to get ourselves out or someone's stuck in the same culture as us. Again, they, he or she, they also have a like-mindedness and that has its strength and it has its disadvantages and friends and family. Sometimes it's hard to bring home work and frustrations because they have their own work and frustrations. Yeah. What I'm saying here, I think it's very important is that they have someone to, they can articulate their thinking and their emotions. Why? Because the most important is, is when we can articulate or describe our thoughts and our emotions and we can see them for what they are, they allow us to get more objective. So we can still feel the frustration, but back to your point, Hannah, we can shift to the fight, we can shift to a more constructive mind talk in order to deal with it and thinking, you know what, again, it's the reskilling coupled with the reframing. But you know, when you couple reframing with the reskilling, reframing, I think is just another way of telling you the self, your story to, you know what, I got to embrace the struggle.
1: Yes, I think that we could talk about embracing the struggle in so many ways. I mean, we could talk about Like how we digest food even, couldn't we? Like how we need roughage or we need, you know, there's so many places we could take that even within biology. But Laura, I wanted to know because you give me this very recognizable story of starting to explore neuroscience and then getting super fascinated by it. I so totally shared that passion and interest. I was curious to ask you, with your new insight, as you grew to learn about the brain and how it works and how your brain works, did it change your day-to-day? Did it change your everyday life?
2: (laughs) Yeah, of course. And not only mine, but also my kids' uh, study routines, and I hope that also the participants that have attended the Brain Box sessions. But in my case, what I can say is that one of the changes I made is the way I learn new things. So knowing the brain learns by connecting knowledge, now I think I treat the new information or the new knowledge differently, or at least I'm more conscious about my learning actions. Mm. And on the other valuable thing, and I think also very linked to what Jason is saying uh, about this uh, struggle, is that also the when you are in this point, in this struggle, it also helps you open to different ideas. I realized, I learned that the real opportunity to learn is not when you just agree to the ideas of others, but when you listen to different ideas than yours. Because in that moment, when you are struggling like, hey, but this idea doesn't fit at all, with my beliefs, with my thoughts. So what is this person telling? And, and you start struggling and, and they are really to try to understand what is this all about. And this is when you realize and you listen to other points of view, other ways of doing things maybe. And that helps, I think, create your own criteria and it helps you learn and it helps you grow. So for me, I think that was... What I also learned about the brain.
1: That's a major learning right there. And I'm sure it's coming to the benefit of, of a lot of people right now in Deutsche Telekom. So we've got to really thank this leader, huh, who three years ago set you on this path. I was aware of, you said something when we were prepping about how to attract people to learning. So now we get that once you're in learning, You need to stay with the stuck. You need to work on how you deal with frustration and stuckness. But how do you even get me in the door, Laura? What is your philosophy on that?
2: I think learning is not easy. I think learning is a very complex process. And at the beginning, it's not always easy because new knowledge. Yeah, maybe you don't have that many previous knowledge to link it to the new information. Mm. But it's really fascinating because if you are learning something that you really like, it doesn't matter. You are more resilient. It's more motivating, or at least I think more. you are more motivated to learn these new things. And about the learning uh, corporate environment to make people learn and to have this curiosity and to make people willing to learn... I think it's more about behavior
1: mm-hmm. and
2: creating a community within these people because we have a lot of learning role models in the company, eager learners in the company, and we need to make them more visible. And I think it's more yeah, about creating a start small, but start with this small group of people that are already there. Oh, God, yes and then you just start making this group bigger and bigger so others can follow them.
1: Oh, I love 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 what you're saying. So anyone who's been around for some years and tried to deliver trainings for corporations, right? The kind of the worst day at work for both Jason and myself, both as externals, would be standing in front of a crowd of leaders who are maybe experienced already, and maybe they've been to some trainings before, and they would kind of sit back cynically and expect to be trained. Oh, yeah, it's another day with like someone from HR has done this initiative, you know. And there's this there's this kind of cynical vibe to the whole thing. And then yet we're establishing, and we're not alone in establishing that these days, that learning has taken on a whole new role for us all. And it, it just needs to be upped in terms of how we look at it from every point of view. And you're saying... I don't know what to call that in English. Jason, maybe you can help me. Here in Norway, we talk Mm -hmm. about if there's a flock of cows, you will hang a bell on the kind of the lead cow. (laughs) I don't know what to call that in English. Is there an English word for that?
0: Uh, no, but I, I guess you have <laughs> yeah, the herd of cows and you put a bell on it so you, everyone follows the, like...
1: That's it, yes. Uh, so in Norwegian we call yeah. it we call it a bell cow, so let's go with that for now. I'm, I've created a new English word. And the bell cows are the ones that all the other cows will follow. And that's kind of what you're describing, isn't it, Laura? You're describing that by yeah. hanging a bell on the people who are eager learnings, because we are yeah, flock animals, that aren't is, we? We, that we will follow.
0: I think you'd call it an influencer.
1: Yeah, that'd be a nicer word than a bell cow, for sure. <laughs>
2: there is a very nice video in the internet about this behavior. There was a guy like dancing like a fool in a hill with a lot of people around and music very high. And others were looking at him like... What the hell is doing this guy? And then a uh, uh, first follower started doing the same a strange dance. Mm-hmm. And then another one came and another one came. And at the end, it was a, a huge group dancing in this very strange mood. And I think this is how all this kind of movement starts, right? So, all these culture topics in the company is about yeah, behavior, and it's about following that influencer, as Jason is saying.
0: Yeah, I think that's a very relevant point you're making there, Laura, because, you know, those early adopters, and if they do have influence, meaning they have respect and trust within the company, then people will naturally sort of be attracted to that. And so I think that what you're saying is so important is where there's psychological safety, there's trust and respect in those influencers, those bell cows also we call it right and then you start seeing you know the early adopters then become the normal adopters and all of a sudden what was strange now is like is accepted as oh this is normal so I think that's a very relevant point you made Laura
1: very very relevant yes absolutely and I also think because it's, it's one of the factors that we spoke about in prepping for today Laura wasn't it the idea of having self-belief and how self-belief in itself is a factor for daring to like go to the reskill or upskill state of mind or whatever. And it suddenly strikes me that self-belief, we very often collect that when we see others doing it, don't we? So if they can do it, I can do it too. Am I right? Are you seeing that, Laura?
2: Yeah, I truly believe that to make reskilling possible in the company, you don't have only to deliver and offer the best IT tools or cool platforms and programs, but also if you want people really to attend these programs and don't quit, of course, if you want people to be reskilled, you have also to create a proper learning environment. So, mm-hmm. raising curiosity and at the same time confidence in their capabilities to achieve their learning goals or their development objectives. So if people are not confident enough and think they cannot change to a new position because they think it's too difficult or they think they are too old, maybe it doesn't matter the IT tool or how cool your program is, they just won't do it or won't finish it so and of course together with confidence it also comes the support of the manager and the need why to do it and Mm -hmm. the benefit behind and the willingness to learn new things
1: that's what you mentioned isn't it jason because you said the words intrinsic motivation and that sounds awesome where can we actually go about buying that huh how can we be systematic in our approach to creating that
0: Well, intrinsic motivation is part of an internal system in our brains and how we trigger that is when we, a leader or a coach or what have you, a parent, you know, he or she can trigger it through how they engineer their questions. And so a lot of the times I ask managers when they're running one-to-ones to to fire off this intrinsic motivation, do you ask questions like, you know, for example, you know, what lights your fire? What are you passionate about? Where do you shine the best? What do you love doing? I mean, just questions like this, they seem very small and such, but they actually have kind of significance. So, if we engineer questions where it's about the person, you focus in on him or her and what they like to do, that actually switches on something called the basal ganglia and a specific part called the striatum. Because when people start talking about things they love to learn or they do, for example, a great way to start a conversation is maybe from a side thing where you ask them about their hobbies and what lights them up sort of their <laughs> inner spark for that hobby because that becomes a natural extension in which to talk about reskilling or learning or whatever vocabulary you want to use so when we talk when we engineer our questions Heine towards a person's passions or their curiosities that literally triggers an internal structure in the head which fires off intrinsic motivation so just a Define intrinsic motivation. That's that internal motivation where you don't need to be paid. You're just willing to use time and your own energy to invest in that. And so a leader or a parent or a coach, by asking questions that fire that off, people will start talking about themselves. And then you light them up, that right side of the brain, right? And that's also the right side of the logical part of the brain because what is that part? Well, it runs, it's parallel processing. There is no time elements. There's only the here and now. And the thing is, this is how we can get people to embrace uncertainty, to brace a level of autonomy and agency, and to focus more on efforts than always the final outcome. So I think it's very relevant what Laura has just said.
1: Thank you for that, Jason. And I think the idea then of coach-style leadership just became a fresh and a new to me because. Within the major coaching schools now, you've made technology of question asking, haven't you? They are really the go-to place if you want to get better at question asking. So engineering your questions. Ooh, I love that. For all of us now, actually, for all three of us, because we're coming towards the end of the episode, sad but true. What are like the core hacks and tips and tricks in here? I'm hearing stay with the stuck and dare to experience the struggle. Sorry for stealing that one. What else can we... Leave people without there. I
2: think I would say look for this thing that your heart is beating for. So that will help you to be more resilient, to create your own learning environment if you don't have it. There are many people around us that are eager learners and that are willing to learn and share new things. I think they will be a good source of inspiration and as well as a good space where to feel confident. And as one of our guiding principles say, stay curious and grow.
1: Yes, it is, isn't it? Yes. And thank you for that. Yes, I think that is such an interesting perspective to consciously surround yourself with people who dare to learn and who have gone there because that will help you dare to go there too. That's amazing. Jason?
0: Yeah, I guess a very simple pragmatic tool is something I call short game, long game. Uh, that has to do with sort of effort versus outcome. You know, when I'm working with clients, what I try to do is, is where do they invest their focus? And uh, we, do, we do an 80-20 breakdown. So 20% is looking at the long game. That's the final outcome. And the reason we only want to spend 20% of our time at the final outcome is just to look up to the horizon, just make sure we have the right direction and we have the correct orientation. Where most of the time, 80% of our focus should be in the short game. That means kind of in the here and now. Why is that? Because if we are focused on how we can control a situation, where we can create more certainty, where I can create short-term predictable outcomes, then it's focused on efforts. Now, I know too many people that always tend to spend sort of the 20, 80, 80% looking on the final outcome. Because if the final outcome is so far away, like one of the things I'm learning just for a pet project is German. It's not, if you think level 100 is perfect German, I'm at level 0.5, right? (laughs) But if I constantly focused on level 100 compared to where I am, it would overwhelm me and I'd feel defeated. I wouldn't be embracing the struggle, but where do I keep it? I know where I want to get, right? I want to order a beer, a room, what have you, talk to people at a cafe, what have you. But so I want to keep my 80% of my focus, Hannah, in the short game. And why is that? Well, I focus on the effort and there's three things. You know, I'm creating a sense of autonomy, I'm creating a sense of control, and I'm creating a sense of effort, what I sometimes use the acronym ACE. That's what I would suggest as a very simple, pragmatic Mm -hmm. tool for leaders and parents.
1: Oh, what a brilliant place to round us off. I love that. So, by actually engaging systematically and consciously in how much time you spend on the shorter versus the longer game, as you say, your feeling of mastery will increase and your feeling of ownership. And what was the third one?
0: Well, it would be ownership, agency, or a- yeah. autonomy, and sort of short term predictable outcomes effort.
1: Fantastic. Well, guys, we are there. I'm so delighted to have had this conversation and what's really, you you don't see the longer game of the human-centric podcast, but I do. And what I'm hearing, which is just bizarre, is that these words keep emerging and emerging and emerging. And today has definitely, again, been about passion. And I passionately can say to you guys, just thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time and showing up and good, good luck. Laura with the Brain Box from Basque Country in Spain. And Jason, having found Norwegian love with all the important work you do in the world. Just good luck to both of you and thank you so much for coming.
0: Thank you very much, Anna.
2: Thank you so much for your time. It has been a
1: pleasure. And enjoy your Mondays, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Bye for now. To find out the deeper meaning of talent and its human aspects in business environments, subscribe to the Human Centric Podcast and stay tuned.